Hello, my name is Robbie Ventura, and I am your host here at the Velocity Cycling Podcast, where our one goal is to get you to fast faster. There is no one way to have great cycling performance. What works for some of us may not work for others. We really want to expose you to some of the greatest minds in sports performance, and hopefully we can try to figure out what works best for you to meet your goals and to meet your genetic potential. We're going to do one job and we're going to try to do it the best we can, and that is get you to fast faster. Hello and welcome to the Velocity Podcast. I'm Robbie Ventura, and we're here to get you to fast faster. And what's really important when we think about speed, when we think about going faster, we think about building power output, we think about aerodynamics, we think about training plans and all this stuff. But what we don't spend enough time thinking about is the importance of having a good mental attitude about being mentally tough and really performing on race day. Um, And a lot of times, I mean, I don't know about you all, but I've had a lot of rough races, a lot of bad things have happened before, during and after the race. And I think exposure to those things on a regular basis really helps us overcome those things. But there is a huge mental aspect to going faster. And we have one of the toughest athletes that I know mentally that I've ever been introduced to. And her name is Melanie McQuaid. Uh, Many of you know who Melanie is. She's one of the most decorated endurance athletes that Canada has ever produced. Um, From high school, being a swimmer, to college, being a runner, to every conceivable endurance exercise using a bicycle, running, and swimming that you can do, she's had unbelievable success with. Five-time world champion, Xterra. Um, she's a triathlon Ironman champion, 70.3. She's won road races and mountain bike races. And one thing that I know about Mel is she is mentally tough. And I am hoping today that um, she shares with us some of her pro tips on how to be mentally tough. Mel, thanks so much for joining the Velocity Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. This is very exciting. Super, super pumped to have you. And how about your experience so far here? You've been taking your, you've been doing your um, indoor velocity classes as a guest instructor. People are loving taking your classes, um, not only from all of your experience, but your energy, your excitement, your funny, you're being funny, you're telling stories. Talk about the velocity platform so far. I think you're maybe four workouts into an eight workout set. Oh, I'm five in now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's it's good because uh, I really like being able to um, be able to share and kind of show what some of the coaching um, that I want to explain. And, and um, sometimes you, you just need to demonstrate and actually be in front of somebody to to because some people are, are better at learning from listening to my words. And then some people actually want to see what I'm doing. So I really like that. I get both, both the visual plot platform and then there's the audio. Everybody can hear what I'm doing. Um, and I, and I'm always trying to get athletes to, um, do workouts as like either outside if they can or do the workouts in the most specific way they can, which means, you know, shifting gears, um, like timing when you're shifting and things like that. And I really like that I can give those cues on, on velocity, like say, Hey, like we're going to, we're going to try these like five intervals. You're going to try a different combination of gears. Um, and you're going to try different kinds of timing that and see how your interval evolves. And I just like that. That's like a true road feel, right? Where you actually have to execute the skill, which 
shifting is a skill associated with cycling um, that, you know, people aren't going to lose over the course of the winter because they're actually riding a bike like they're going to ride a bike. Yeah. And you, you, you've already, you have a, a coaching business where you already do some on-camera stuff um, as it relates to um, strength training and, and, and form and mobility and those sorts of things. What was it like? How much different was it being in the studio and having both on-demand classes as well as live riders actually engaging with you during a workout? Yeah. And I think that's I, what I love about Velocity is it's all the um, metrics and the, like the organization of a group workout that you would have, that you want to have, like everybody wants to do the workout at their own percentage on their own bike in their own house, but it also allows them to actually see me, um, you know, so it's, it's software that allows me to be in front of them, but coaching them all remotely, but still controlling what they're doing remotely as well. So it's, it's the right combination of like real life instructor feel with convenience of them being where they are and not having to travel anywhere. And that brings everybody together. So it's, it's an excellent concept and it's, you know, it's a game changer for coaches to have that opportunity to like have FaceTime, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and I look forward to seeing more of the, your, your coaching athletes on the software, getting to connect with you face to face. I mean, a lot of these coaches out there are, are remote. I mean, maybe they have a couple of athletes close by, but a lot of them have most of their athletes scattered across the country and you can do a zoom every now and again and do a FaceTime, but to have all of your athletes actually in a class with you, learning from you, um, that nuance, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. You're 48 years old. You've been uh, a professional uh, athlete forever. And with that comes a lot of knowledge. And unfortunately, you can't write all that knowledge down in a training peaks or a today's plan, like description box, right? It would just blow people's minds. But for you to be able to take the nuance of what you've learned and bring that across uh, the camera to, to all of your athletes, to me, is, is the reason why I would want you as my coach. And yeah, I, need, I can buy a plan, training plan off of, off the internet and that's fine. But to learn from you during my workout and a workout that you prescribe for me is something that I think is just is awesome. And, and there's not a lot of coaches with your experience that can deliver that experience, um, you know, because there's a lot of these coaches that just spring up. They have a background in, in running or exercise physiology and all of a sudden they're coaching a bunch of triathletes or whatever. It really takes a lot of experience to put yourself in their shoes a lot of times and make all those mistakes, which you've accumulated, unfortunately, mistakes yeah. and positives over the, your course. And now you can share all that information with your athletes. So awesome. And I can't wait to take your classes as soon as they get posted up on demand. If they're on demand right now, check her out. Melanie McQuaid, she is awesome. Um, you'll learn a lot. You'll, you'll laugh, actually. I think you've got a great sense of humor and uh, you're just energy is just awesome. So let's talk about your current fitness level right now. I mean, I've known you for a long time. I've, I've ridden against you in these little mini competitions that you and I have had throughout the years at Blackberry Farm or out at Mount Palomar or wherever. And I got to be honest, you look as fit as you ever have. I mean, how are you doing at 48 years of age? What's the secret to your current fitness level? And are you still as competitive as you've ever been? Yeah. And okay. So that's a variety of questions. Number one, am I as competitive as I've ever been? 
Yes. Uh, and I think that what I'm most proud of with that is that, you know, if anybody has been watching the the level of competition in women's racing over the past like 20 years, it's just going through the roof. So the fact that I can still be competitive as a pro at 48 is like, is, it's like, it's crazy. I, I am obviously really proud of that. Um, but it's, it's a, it's something that I'm just exploring and, and just showing up every year and just seeing what happens. It's not that I have an expectation that I should or would, or could be there. It's more, I'm just going to focus on what I can do for me to try and make me better every year. And then just keep showing up and see, did I get better? Am I still in the mix? And then, um, when I get confirmation of that, then I'm motivated and then I keep coming back for more. So certainly I've, I've, in order to be here and be fit like this. Um, I think the number one thing that made that happen is I didn't stop. Right. And so I think that when we, when we are talking about aging or an athlete, that's 48, like I am, if I took a break to like have a family, do a job and like quit training for 10 years, there's a pretty good chance that my fitness is going to be lower now because I, I didn't consistently, um, train like a maniac for the past 20 years. But that's what I did is I just never stopped racing as a professional. I've been um, constantly working on that stuff. And then um, for sure, in the last 10 years, I've done a lot of education for myself as a coach, but also um, as an athlete on strength training, on the importance of mobility, on joint health. And, and now one of the other things I'm working on now is like sort of spinal hygiene, like yeah, there's a lot of body maintenance that we take for granted when we're 20 because we just don't even care. Um, but when when you when you get to 30 or 40, your strength training is a non-negotiable item. It has to be fit in. Mobility is not the same as strength. It also has to be put in, especially if you're you're somebody who isn't like very sturdy. And, and that's how I like to describe myself. I'm, I'm like a little, like, I'm like a little Mack truck. I'm pretty sturdy. Like I can handle a lot of hits. I'm pretty tough. Um, but some athletes are a little bit more de delicate and those athletes definitely need that stuff. So it's kind of been a combination of a, just continuing to plow on as a pro and b addressing the, you know, regular scheduled maintenance that your body needs to continue training like a maniac. Yeah, you know, I think what gets overlooked for a lot of athletes when you're young, like you talked about it, you have a little bit more um, high-end capacity. You you have a little bit more muscle mass. You have a little bit more um, hormones and testosterone. You can recover a little bit faster. Um, and you don't necessarily understand the need for the things you just talked about, like strength training and durability work and range of motion and mobility work. But as you get older, if you can get that stuff like you have and your aerobic fitness continues to climb as you get older, right? All those miles mean something. They add up. You improve your aerobic capacity. So even though maybe your some of your high-end VO2 max or your high-end capacity goes down a little bit, it's far outweighed by your gains in aerobic fitness. And when people don't do the strength training, they can't maintain that level of volume because their bodies break down. So you've caught like the perfect wave, right? As soon as you realize you need a strength training, you got it. Your endurance continually goes up. And even though your high end may be dropping slightly, the combination of those two things is propelling you to a higher level of fitness. And what's exciting for me is that so many people can do the same thing you're doing. 
if they just figure that out, right? Like the importance of mobility. I mean, sure, you have a, an extreme talent. That's you just have a lot of things going on that allows you to absorb all that all that work, right? I mean, some of us don't have that VO two max to start with. We don't have, you know, our hormones aren't quite developed like some. Other, but basically, at the end of the day, my point is, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that can get a heck of a lot better at the ages of 40, 50, and 60 because the growth that we can make aerobically if we maintain our durability and our strength. So I just, I love that. You just caught the wave and you're just riding it, which is beautiful. How many more years can you ride this thing though? I mean, like Kelly Slater just won, you know, the the the, the pipeline at 50. What's what's next? What's the yeah. goal? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. So like I said, I, I just wanted to just continue this human experiment that I've, I've got going here for as long as I can. And I appreciate that your kind words about like, like, yeah, I think that certainly like, I, I don't think that I would have the career I had or some of the success I had without being like, like given a bit of talent to start with. So certainly I had talent to start with. Um, but it was it was probably 10 years ago that I started um, getting a little bit of pushback from sponsors, from coaches um, when I was 38. And they were saying, oh, you're 38. You know, like you better like get that Ironman in now. And, you know, you're like how many more years do you have left? And like, you know, my 39th year was really hard because I was like, OK, I have to accomplish all these things before I turn 40, because as soon as you turn 40, it's like there's like a, like pull this tab, like a bomb's going to go off and your body is done, right? Like 40 is like ridiculous. You cannot be a professional athlete at 40 anymore. You're going to be fired. Like your career's over. And like any, and then coaches were like, Oh, you're going to be, you're 40. Like you're not going to recover as fast. You're you shouldn't do as much work and all this stuff. And I think one of the things that um, allowed me to like sort of plow through that mess is that really, sometimes I really don't give a crap what people think. And, and I, I believe in what I'm experiencing. So I, like, so there's a, there's a good and a bad side of that. The good side of it is that I'm willing to like go and try something. Cause I need to see for myself. The bad side of that is unfortunately I've spent a lot of time learning from failures, right? Because I won't listen to like potentially good advice. Um, but in this instance, this was bad advice. And, and I, I, I really love the fact that this was like 10 years ago that I was seeing this stuff. I was like, no, I like, I'm, I, I'm sure there's more there. And I just carried on. I lost sponsors, right? Cause I was like, you know, I was in my forties. Um, but like in my 42nd year, I won four 70.3s that year. Um, I went and won, uh, at, I broke my ankle and then came back in 2017, won my fifth world title at 46. Well, no, that's like 44. That's 44. Yeah, 44. Um, so it, like if I had just listened to everybody, I wouldn't have continued trying. And there's like so much awesome stuff that happened in my life because I kept trying. Um, and now if you look at the like the professional female marathoners, they're 39 years old going to the Olympics, like the fastest ever times for women in running. And if anything, like marathon's got to be the hardest thing ever. Like you have to do so many miles so fast. Like, so you cannot have like an underperforming body at that point. And I just love that now we have some, you know, athletes that coaches cannot ignore anymore. These women are crushing it. They are the best. And they're like, 
almost 40 years old. And that's exactly what I was saying. I can train more. There's no difference in my body because I'm like approaching the year 40. Um, and I did continue to improve. And I, I think now if we like circle back since I'm talking for a really long time to what you were saying about like that sweet spot between the two, certainly as you get older, you have less margin of error, right? So like when I was younger, I could really screw things up and my performance would like, like have this bandwidth, right? And I say that the bandwidth is less, like when I make a mistake, it's ugly. Like I suck. Right. Um, and, and certainly like, as I've got better, yes, I think that I am continuing to improve in terms of like aerobic capacity because I'm getting stronger. I really know myself a lot better. I think training methodology in general is getting way better. So I think the, the, the 40 to 48 year olds athletes, 10, 20 years from now are going to be even better because we're just better coaches. Now we just understand what we're doing better. Um, but I also like now I'm also in Ironman, right? So, uh, some of that, that, that punchy, powerful speed that I needed for mountain biking is, is, you know, it's useful to be strong on the bike, but it's definitely much more modulated, but I'm also going to argue with myself for a second because I ran my fastest 5k um, during the pandemic, uh, I'm, I'm running my fastest marathons ever now. So there's like, there's a speed potential associated with being able to run like that. So like, I don't know, I don't know that I've reached the actual ceiling for me. And, and so I would say that anybody that's out there, like one of the hashtags I use all the time is faster after 40. And if you've maximized your potential with a great coach in your twenties, there's a chance you're not going to be faster after 40. It's like, I'm not like, I'm not delusional, right? Like I, I know that there's a consequence of aging, but I think for a, a lot of women, men out there, very often you don't get to shoot your shot when you're younger. And then you come into the sport later in life and you haven't like figured out that like how to develop all this stuff. And, and if you haven't, there's a really large margin that you can improve if you get a great coach and you commit to the training and age isn't a factor in that. So there's, there's lots to be done after 40. Love it. Love it. Love it. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that makes you such a popular coach, such a popular athlete is you just kind of tell it like you see it. Right. And, and, and you don't really pull any punches. And, and I think that that's, for me, that's very refreshing. I love the fact that, um, I'm not going to use the word blunt. I'm just going to use the word truthful. You know, when, when I ask you a question, I just, I love that, um, and, and I think your competitors love you. I mean, Meredith Kessler, everybody that I talk to just is like, I love Melanie McQuaid, man. If she says it like it, like, like she sees it and it's just, it's refreshing, but just kind of to go back just a hair here. Um, when you talked about, you know, obviously being, being fast over 50, there is a component, I think, Mel, that, that we haven't talked about that I think is really important. And that is as you get older, you not only, you know, your aerobic system continues to develop, right? You, you do think your body gets better at burning fat as you get older, you have to put that time in. But I think the thing that, that, that I think is really important is you're getting better at executing as well on race day. You're, you're figuring yourself out. And, and the thing that I love that you said best and every single athlete at your level that I talk to, they're curious, they're still trying things as you get older I mean, I'm going to hate to quote Ted Lasso. You have to be curious, right? Because if you're not, you're not going to figure out what's going to work for you. And I think what's interesting about what you said is you're still trying stuff. 
I mean, you've been doing this, you've been more miles on the running, biking and swimming than pretty much anybody that I know. And you're still trying to do new things to find that little bit of performance, which I think is great. But what I want to talk about next and what I want to really understand from you is, is the components that I just said. It's the execution on race day. It's, it's being able to get through bad days. It's being able to get through tough workouts. And to me, that's mental. And, and for everybody listening, you don't wake up being mentally tough. That is, is as trainable as your threshold, right? So I want to hear some, some feedback from you, Mel, about you know, kind of a, what it actually means to suffer for you now, because that red zone for you has been pushed so far out that what, what does it mean to actually suffer to you? Do you still suffer or does it happen a different way? Talk, talk to us about suffering. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's a great question. I think suffering is, it's just being okay and during something that's uncomfortable, and so that's just being able to focus on what your objective is. So when you go into a workout or something that's going to make you suffer, you have to have a purpose. And, and when you commit to that purpose, then what you're doing is you're just um, you're focusing on what you need to focus on. Right. So I, a lot of times I think mental toughness is just. Um, directing your focus to what you can control at that moment. So like you can't really control that whatever you're doing is hard and your body's reacting to it and that's uncomfortable, right? That's just what's going to happen because you've chosen to commit to whatever you're doing. Um, so then you just direct your focus on, okay, what do I need to do right now to, you know, help my body survive? Uh, like allow my mind to accept what is happening not getting ahead and not get ahead of yourself. Like, like sometimes when we want to escape the suffering where we're trying to get out of that moment, we're either like thinking about what has already happened. And, 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 you know, like if something else comes in your head, it's really hard to keep your mind on the task at hand. So suffering is all a, ma a matter of like, like focusing your attention on the right here, right now, and like not getting ahead of yourself and then when uncomfortable things are happening or your, your body's freaking out, like you're, you're basically choosing to respond to that in an appropriate way. Like certainly like if you, if you blow up and you're like done, like that's, you know, you're, you're, that's your day, right? There's nothing you can do about that. That was under your control. You've like reached the limit of your body. And so then like, there's a variety of ways to approach that. You can react to that and go, oh, you suck. I can't believe you blew up today. Like, why did you not do that when there's nothing you could do about it, right? Or you could just respond to that and go, okay, well, I found my limit today. Um, I'm going to, like, take note of that. That's what I did today. This is where I'm at right now. Um, and then I'm going to carry on and, and try again next time. And so, like, suffering is about the directing directing focus in in my opinion and and certainly like i think the biggest thing for like there are some athletes probably on this podcast that are experienced and some that are beginners um suffering is a non-negotiable it really doesn't matter how fit you are you are always going to suffer because what that is is challenging your focus to push your limits and and if you want to get better, you have to constantly be in that area where you're on the outer limits of what you can do. Otherwise, you can't find um, your full potential. Yeah, I, I just love that. I, I think that whether you're at your level, Mel, or a beginner, we're all suffering, right? There's always and to be perfectly. I think I, mean, I, I think it's important to understand that 
although it feels in your brain like we're suffering at a similar level, um, when you put yourself in that position, or at least I've had, I mean, I feel like I mastered suffering because I was always kind of the, the least talented in the group I was with. And I always had to just suffer to stay on the wheel. I wasn't the one applying the pressure. I was always the one like hanging on and accepting the pressure. And it's just, I don't think my VO2 max got that much better. I don't think my, my threshold got that much better. I just could tolerate so much suffering because I was always in the red zone. So that the normal red zone for me now turned orange, right? (laughs) Like it's just, I became so accommodating. And I think it's not, it's not just your brain that accommodates. You're able to tolerate more blood lactate. You're able to shift muscle usage. There's all these things that happen when you're suffering. And I think, you know, my opinion on this, I love it. Just redirect it. Try to try to figure out, stay focused on the task at hand and understand that these sensations are getting you there. I love that mindset. I think that's brilliant. For me, it was just, you're going to be better at the end of this. Mm. Last as long as you possibly can. And I always had something in my head, Mel, where I thought about one very simple thing when I really started to go under. Like when I was really on my limit, I really thought about my pedal stroke. I just... Mm. I just thought about the mechanics of my pedal stroke and tried to occupy my brain with a, with a, with a movement that I think helped me reduce that stress. And I would literally just focus so much on my pedal stroke. And next thing you know, I'd either get through it or I'd be, you know, off the back, but either way, I didn't let that pain kind of stop me because I, I tried to block it out by focusing on my pedal stroke. But that's one thing. Give me your hack. Like when you're on the rivet, and you're in your, even if you're in a competitive position, but you're on the rivet, what sort of hack do you have in your brain? I think about my pedal stroke. What do you think about to get through some of those dark times? Well, I, I think that, um, I've always looked at like, well, I, so I think a good way to like describe what we're talking about is if anybody's read the book endure, they talk specifically in that whole book about how your brain is designed to protect you. And, and so you, you have to convince your brain that these sensations that you're feeling in your body are not going to kill you. And so as long as you keep training your brain to accept this level of discomfort, it'll stop like screaming at you to stop. So you have to have some specific training work where you go to town on yourself, like making sure that your brain will accept the level of suffering that you want to perform at. So it's a scientific scientifically proven thing that you do need to train your brain exactly like that. And I think that your example is really great where you, you focused on an execution process, like what, how do I pedal right now in order to get through this? And that just sort of brings your brain out of this, like catastrophizing, Oh my God, I'm going to die moment. And like calms it right down and focuses it in an area Um, and, and definitely I would always go back to something like that, like something execution, like, um, very often it's, it's a technique, um, biomechanics sort of postural thing that, that I would come back to, to like, keep me engaged in the moment. Um, and then sometimes like in races, it would be just like, like, you know, you know, that moment where the group is going so hard, you're not sure you can hang on. I would just keep telling myself, okay, I'm just going to hang on for 12 more seconds or like 15 more seconds. And then, you know, inevitably they let up and you're in, right? So it would always be go to where I'm going to die, 
and then hang on for like 15 more seconds. So you chunk it up a little bit. Don't think yeah. about, I got 10K to the summit. I got, I'm going to make it to this next switchback and I'll make my decision that I'm going to quit later. I'm yeah. going to quit after the next switchback, the next yeah. switchback. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think that that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so we talked about suffering. We talked about, you know, dealing with pain. I think these are all great things. I think another part of mental strength is your ability to calm yourself down before the start. I know there's a lot of athletes. I'm sure you have a lot. I have a lot of athletes that I work with that just don't necessarily perform on race day like they have, you know, two weeks earlier in training. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you've learned in your career, some things that you tell your athletes on how to manage that kind of anxiety that they have during race day and, and kind of get through that piece and be, get better at it? I mean, obviously repetitions help, but outside of repetitions, what else? Well, I think that um, what the, the, the key to mental toughness, again, is that focus, right? And so part of focusing is managing really tough and strong emotions. And, and when you are in training, your emotional like activation is a little bit lower because there's less consequence, right? Yeah. But when you go to race day, then all of a sudden your emotions are higher. You have more riding on this. And so you're dealing with strong emotions at the same time. And so you can, you can go from responding to these motion, emotions to reacting to them. And, and when you're reacting instead of responding, you're not really choosing what you're going to do anymore. So you're not focused. You're just acting. And it's like it's out of control. And so we have we want to go all the way back to like, how are we going to focus and control what we can control for this minute? We're not going to get ahead of ourselves like we're not we're not deciding what's happening in this race before we race it. We're not going to then like lament a workout that we missed three weeks ago, because in both cases, we're like in, in ahead of ourselves and we're like dealing with something that's past. We're just going to be executing what's happening today. And so I find like very often organization. So making sure that you can take a lot of decision making out of the day helps you to just sort of calm your mind and just be more robotic and methodical. And that just helps you to not have to make decisions and think because as soon as you start thinking and making decisions, then you're like allowing your mind to like run feral and then you start to run into trouble. Right. So I always counsel people to like make a list and create a schedule and then it takes all the guesswork out. It's like it's like the CEOs that only have gray T-shirts and black jeans, right? There's no decision making that they have to waste energy on with like the morning getting dressed. You have no options on race day. You're leaving at this time but, or like you, you like rewind it right back. You're getting up at this time. You're eating breakfast at this time. You're packing the car at this time. You're leaving. You're arriving. You're warming up. You're getting in. You're going. Right. And so you just kind of you're a robot and you just follow this stuff. Um, and I, I think that's it. There, there's no way to avoid feeling strong emotions because that's what drives you to want to improve. Right. So you're going to have to deal with these emotions all the time. So you can't just say, oh, I get nervous for races like this is just this is racing. Right. So you have to put yourself into a position where you can make good choices about your responses. And then you're going to start feeling like you're in control in the morning. And that feeling of control gives you confidence that you have a stake in what's happening and, and you're going to be able to make what you want to do happen. 
I love it. So just to kind of review that, you know, I think having a race plan and that race plan has to start like a day in advance almost and, and go all the way through the end of the race and potentially to the next morning. Um, and just having that race plan, Mel, it sounds like just gives you kind of a, a beacon of something to hold on to through this entire process that you know is well thought out because your brain, like you said, doesn't always make the best decisions when it's under yeah. a little bit of stress. So yeah. you have this race plan. And then on top of that, that race plan needs to evolve as you figure out how this race plan affects you, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, there's no one race plan that someone created 10 years ago that they're still using today. There's all these little modifications based on your response to this race plan over time. And hopefully you've practiced this in practice for some of your longer rides or longer events in practice. You actually practice this race plan with the nutrition and the breakfast and everything. So I, I love that idea of that routine that you're used to. And then obviously a check down list of, of things you can think about for on the morning of what about, um, um, the thought process. And this is, this is what I learned a long time ago. If I'm thinking about my result instead of my process or my execution, it tends to, to, to make me more nervous, right? Like if I think I want to qualify for this, or I want to be in the top 10% of my age group, or I got to swim in this amount of time, or I got to bike at this power output. If I start thinking about my end result and not actually the here and now, I think that kind of creates something, like you said, I'm thinking about something in the future that, that I have no, I mean, I have control over it, but why should I be thinking four hours down the road when I'm like literally at my, at, you know, at the start line, I got to think about how I want to line up my swim start. Right. So yeah. I think kind of focusing on the present and not the end is another, another tip potentially thoughts. Well, yeah, I think that's a great thing to focus on is that like, for sure you have to, you have, to, that's a perfect example of somebody like living in the future. So they're, they're trying to they're, like, they're not there that yet they can't control any of that stuff. Cause that's in the future. Um, and they're getting off the, the, like the mindset that I'm just going to deal with this minute that I'm in right now. And sometimes it has to crystallize into that one minute or even this one second, like in the example that we were talking about where I'm just going to hang on for 12 more seconds, right? I'm not thinking about the end anymore. I'm like, I got 12 seconds left in this group. Um, I'm just going to see what I can do. And, and that's like maximizing your, your focus is like, okay, I'm in this second. Um, but the second part of that is that it, like, like when you want to be like mentally tough and resilient and able to like go the distance and really see through what, what kind of career you can have, or like what your experience in sports going to be, um, it starts with just a desire to be better. So it's not a, a desire to like prove or achieve anything. And, and I like, I'm not going to stand here and say, I didn't like appreciate achieving anything or that wasn't motivating. Like what that is, is it's, it's, it's like, um, proof that like, I, like I can achieve these goals. It's some, um, it's some justification for the effort that what I thought I could do, I actually could do. Um, but it wasn't just the, the, the achievements that were, um, that were driving me. Like in, in, in most cases, sometimes the achievements were a letdown and some people don't understand that. Like, you know, you, you can think that this amazing goal that like comes with like some recognition and money and whatever was, is like the be all and end all. And any athlete, like I bet you, you talk to any athlete that has achieved like a big goal that they'd set out for themselves. 
And you're like, well, you know what? It was like pretty awesome to have that achievement on the day. And then, you know, pretty much like within, I don't know, 48 hours, you're already on to like, how can I be better than this? So like the actual day and the achievement is so fleeting and and what is like so motivating. And, and you know, I have the, the, the benefit of having been an athlete since there were dinosaurs on earth. Like I've had lots of opportunities to like, see that this really what we're doing is we're just living this amazing rad life where we're constantly goal oriented. We're constantly curious about what we're capable of. Um, and you don't have to achieve anything to experience what it is to be a pro athlete. Cause that's what it is. It's just like, like just pro athletes and like, like all these people that you, you see that are amazing. Um, they just are faster, right? But really what they're doing is what any person could do, which is just living a, a goal-oriented life where they're they're just like trying to uncover what their actual potential is. Progress, I mean, with, you know, it's precision nutrition, a lot of these companies, progress over perfection, right? Just that feeling of getting better is mm-hmm. the rush, is the, yeah. is the highlight. And outside of feeling of getting better, it's, seeing beautiful places, it's meeting new people, it's the relationships, it's those elements that happen on the way to these events that everyone talks about. Even if you win or you get like 99th out of 100, you're right. You spend 45 minutes talking about the event and then the rest of the next month or two months, you talk about, oh my gosh, you remember that swim that we did? Like, it's all about stories, the excitement, getting better, getting stronger, creating relationships and just the, the, the journey. I mean, at the end of the day, we all understand I'm 50, you're 48. We've had an incredible journey and we don't talk about our wins. We no. talk about how many incredible things we've done in this, in this crazy journey of sport. So I, I just, I, I can't agree more with all of that, but now here's something important. And I think everyone wants to know this question. So Mel, you have your race plan, right? You're feeling good about it. You've done a bunch of races. Everything's all good. You've trained perfectly. You've hit the numbers in training. You've made that progression, right, that you wanted to make. All that stuff is going good. And now you're out there and you're halfway through your event, whether it's a half Ironman, whether it's a gravel race, whatever. And the dominoes start to fall. Like you just start to like, everything on paper seems right. Your plan is good. It's just like Mike Tyson. All of a sudden, a plan is a great plan until you get cracked one really good. And some, this happens to everybody, right? How, I mean, how do you get back on course? How do you get back on track? How do you salvage something like that? Like, do you have some hacks for our listeners to say, Hey, when this happens, when I get hit in the head, when something unexpected happens and I, and I just lose my form, right? I run on nutrition or I, whatever. How do you get back to the, to the game? Um, okay. So we're, so we're talking about, you're just having, you're going to have a bad race and like a bad race is happening. So um, and I think the the more you race, the more inevitable it's going to be that you're going to have a bad one. Uh, and so I think one of the best uh, one of the best quotes I have is from a mentor, a coaching mentor that I have. His name's Dan Faff. He's like a legend, and he said that failure is a springboard toward other solutions. And I like I love that, right? Like like failure is inevitable. Like like crap's going to happen, um, and like failing at something isn't an audit of your self-worth. It's not a, like a, it's not a determination of whether or not you'll ever be successful again. Um, but it could theoretically be a catalyst towards positive changes and like it's data for you. So you like all those things that you did wrong is like an opportunity to do something right. And, and 
we start, well, we started this with like this pretty much in a nutshell sums up my career, right? Cause I spent a long time in a sport where there weren't coaches like Exeter didn't have coaches. We had mountain bike coaches. We had triathlon coaches, triathlon coaches didn't know how to mountain bike. Mountain bike coaches don't know anything about anything. So like I spent 10 years trying to figure out how to train for a sport. And I, like, I did a pretty good job figuring it out, but I did it by failing a lot. I sucked at a lot of races because I didn't know what I was doing sometimes. Um, and then I carried that into Ironman, right? I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. So like I had some really ugly races in Ironman because I had no idea really what I was doing for like to turn myself into this other complete different kind of athlete. But I think that the, the big thing is that like, I'm just like not afraid to change things. Like, I really think that, um, like adaptability is, is powerful. Like your ability to like change course and not be stuck in a way of doing things or like always having to have things a certain way, um, is a really powerful and strong position to be in and, and change is inevitable, right? Like, just like, like, I think that we could probably just talk about this whole idea of aging, right? Like, you don't aging is a privilege, you know, like, and as a consequence of this privilege, things are going to change. Right. And so you can like spend that time, like lamenting that you're not 20 anymore and your body is not the same. And then just like dwell on that, or you just go, okay, things are different. I'm going to change things and how I train is going to be different. And, and just like, embrace that. And then, and we'll just go back to that really great point that you had. And you just like focus on what you can control right now. Don't get ahead of yourself of what the result is. Don't get ahead of yourself that you're going to get even older. Right. And I think that that that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, I don't really know if I can still be fast, but I'm not going to like, just like what, what is for sure is if I decide I'm too old and get like, all like negative Nelly about being older, there's no way I'm going to be fast. Right. Then at that point, I'm going to be in a race going, Oh, I'm old. You know, instead of just like being a race going, I'm here to like, like see what I can do and who cares. Right. Like what, like that you, you just have to be like, I'm going to accept the fact I'm 48 years old. I'm going to go to a race with a, like a mindset of, of being curious um, I'm going to be like Ted Lasso and I'm just going to believe in my ability to be good. And then I'm going to go back to Ted Lasso again. And when I suck at races, I'm going to be a goldfish and I'm just not going to give a care when it's over moving on. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think what another, another commonality that I've seen with all of our guests is the ability to really learn from our mistakes, step outside our comfort zone and, and take those chances because we can learn out there. But, you know, what, one of the things, and it's a little bit different in triathlon than it is in cycling. Um, and I've done this a lot later in my career when I just have a bad day or I, or for whatever reason I get dropped from the main Peloton or something happens, you know, it really gives me an opportunity to just reflect on how lucky we are, like you said, just to be able to be in this position. Sometimes when the pressure comes off and you've got detached or you're just, you're not going to get the result that you had hoped for. And maybe something just got screwed up in the, in the planning, maybe even a flat tire or a nutrition or something, right? It really, it's changed my, you know, I was a very, very competitive cyclist and I'm still very competitive and I'm in a competitive situation. Trust me, I'm going to do everything I can to be as competitive as I can be. But I've had a lot more opportunities recently to not be in a competitive environment 
And what it's done for me is it's given me this incredible opportunity to not only reflect and just enjoy everything around me, because it really is truly beautiful out there. I mean, like SBT gravel event, there's so many beautiful gravel races that if you just stop being so competitive at times, and sometimes it's forced upon you, you can enjoy, really enjoy this incredible sport. But secondly, and this is probably the most important thing that I try to do is help other people. Mm -hmm. It gives me a great opportunity to spread my cycling love to other people out there, whether it's leading them, like staying, you know, letting them draft on me or just encouraging people or just communicating with people that are, that are oftentimes I don't get a chance to communicate with on a regular basis. And I got to tell you, man, some of my best, most memorable events are the ones where I didn't have such a good day and I ended up helping other people. I ended up really, really embracing the race and what it, and what it gave me outside of being competitive. So I think there's always that to fall back on. I, I, you're not there yet. At some point, you're going to have these days where you're going to be like, you know what? I'm going to shift down a little bit here, help somebody else out, and just enjoy this beautiful weather and enjoy this beautiful race because I'm so lucky to be able to be here because there's so many other people that would give anything to be in our position and suffer like that. So um, that is awesome. And Mel, I just, I can't tell you how articulate and how brilliant you are. I mean, you know, I think you're, you have your bachelor's in chemistry and maybe biochemistry as well. So obviously you've not only managed an incredible athletic and sporting career, you've managed to, um, to graduate and just, and just spread so much positivity to all your athletes. So Melrad coaching, just really quickly, tell me a little bit about that and what that's given you here before we close. Yeah, I, I, I like I, I'm relating to what you're saying about some of the experiences and that like I, I coach athletes that are like some of them I put in my category training for a rad life and they're really grounding for me because these are people that I'm describing that, you know, training doesn't have an end date, um, but it all, they also don't necessarily need to race like they're training to feel good in their body to be able to show up at any ride and like just be super fast and nobody expected them to be fast. Yeah. Um, and so they just really have that connection to feeling good and appreciating the opportunity all the way to like professional athletes that um, really have pressure to perform. And I like I just before we we um, like we sign off here, like recently, Lindsay Corbin just had a birthday and she was talking about how um, every year she's just been really anxious to perform and get back to races and like just start like achieving because, you know, she's a phenomenal athlete. She's won a million Ironmans like she's super fast. And she said that she's just a, she appreciated that birthday and she's just like just starting to reflect on some of the opportunities that racing gave her. And, and I commented on that post on Instagram that it takes time to appreciate time. And, and that's the thing. Like, I think that we're fortunate to be able to stay in the sport for a long time and continue to make it a part of our life. So we just like, uh, we can see how um, powerful the sport is for building confidence in athletes um, it gives people something tangible to um, to execute and and perform in because sometimes people have jobs where they can be excellent at it, but they never really get any recognition. So sport is so important for like building that confidence and that self-esteem in people. And then you touched on exactly the the community of it all. Like the, like it, you meet people from like so many different backgrounds that you never would like have have touched their lives if you didn't have this like sport thing in common and it's an incredible privilege and opportunity to to 
be in sport. And, and I think that all of us are just so lucky and we should be thankful that we, we get to, to do this stuff. For sure. And I think, you know, you said it best here, all the things you talked about, about the mental strength and the confidence and the way you, 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 you produce that or continue to, to improve that um, translates obviously way beyond sport, right? It translates to being a parent. It translates to being a, a good employee, it translates to being a good manager, whatever. I mean, this is just, again, a, a huge metaphor for building that confidence, building that mental toughness for the challenges that we're all going to face in life. And, and uh, I just thank you so much for coming and, and, and doing eight classes for us on the Velocity platform. I really look forward to having you teach significantly more. Um, love your style, love what you impart on a regular basis. And if you want to learn so much more, not only about the mental side of sport, but just really incredible cycling workouts that have given Melanie her success on the bike, which is in, she, in the workouts that she gives a lot of her athletes to make them stronger. Go, uh, ch- go check out vqvelocity.com and, and start your two week free trial and, um, and pull up Melanie McQuaid's as a guest instructor. She will absolutely um, teach you a bunch. So thank you so much, Mel. Thank you for helping us all get to fast faster. I'm Robbie Ventura. Thanks for listening to the Velocity Podcast. So long. Thank you, Robbie. And thank you. The Velocity team is fantastic. It's been a good time.